about, David. Okay. <laughs> but nobody knows who you were talking about, so it doesn't matter. So you fixed all everything? I fixed everything. We're here, well, David. See, I would not be able to do that. You know, you know something? This is why you are a man who makes the big bucks to do the big parts. And I sit on Facebook <laughs> and invite you on. That happens to me. You know what happens to me? I do what? this. Cheryl! <laughs> yes. Yes. When, when, when are you? <laughs> well. Okay. okay. What can we do here? We can so, David, we're going to do. Okay. So, first of all, I have to tell you the first. So, you're a boy from Brooklyn. I'm a girl from the Bronx. Right. And um, and your mother, I believe, is of Romanian descent. Is that true? Absolutely. So my grandmother was Romanian. I know that. And I and I thought that you I Jewish Italian, very fine line. I always got mistaken. I always got taken for Italian. And I assume and I know you get taken for Italian like crazy. Of course. All the time. So I know your mother was Jewish. What What's your other half? Romanian Jewish. You were, me too. And what's your other? I was pair? raised by an adopted grandmother. I was raised always Jewish. They sent me to a yeshiva when I was a little boy. You know what a yeshiva is. My I father go, was a yeshiva teacher. I, I didn't go to public school, so I am so Jewish. But <laughs> there is some other bloodline that goes on in me, and uh, it's something I, I don't. I, I don't. It, my life was with my Jewish grandma, my Jewish mom. And that's my life. Yes. So I from nothing else. And, and so, but, 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 but the thing is, the Italian American stuff came into my life and it wasn't my life very much so because my sisters married Italians and an Italian came into my life uh, very much so with, with a brother in law that became more of a brother to me. Oh. So, but a very typical kind of New York, kind of like, Oh, you know, kind of soprano kind of guy. You know, those guys, he was sort of that. He was that. He was that. And and uh, so I knew him. And I, I loved him, too. He passed very young. But uh, uh, um, so for me, I, I think, you know, people are interested always in the soprano character in my life. You know, that's it. And, and and that's fine. So we can talk about that. We, we are going to talk. I, I We're going to talk about a lot of other things, too. But I but... want to clear that up. I did okay. Richie April right. that year to playing a rabbi on... On, on the West Wing. Right. So I went from Richie to rabbi. <laughs> and, and Right? And you've so, done a lot of other ethnic well, I, things. And, yeah, I've played Russians and Greeks. And yeah, I have. But, you know... Italian-Americans, when you have been in Mean Streets, which is a New York kind of compulsory viewing movie. Oh, God, yes. Everybody in New York has seen Mean Streets. Of course. It's the, it's the New York and Italian. When you're there, and, and I'm sitting in a, in a diner or a restaurant somewhere, inevitably, always, somebody will come up and say, hey, uh, you remember the guy, Anthony from uh, the neighborhood? <laughs> And I'll say, no, I don't. I, I don't remember. I don't remember Anthony. No, no, no. You, you know what I'm talking about. No, I don't. I, I really don't know who you're talking. Ah, uh, come on. And they'll do that. No, they will. They will. I'm talking about people who just refuse. <laughs> to well, those have to. Those have to be New Yorkers and probably Brooklyn boys that are doing to that. To accept too. certain realities, and there are times. I'm serious. And I've gone through that over the last 20 years in airports, 
in restaurants. The guy will always come up to me and says, hey, how you doing? <laughs> I, I'm doing fine. Now, you know what I mean. Who are you hanging with? <laughs> Who am I hanging with? I'm hanging with my wife. My daughter's here. My wife's here. Oh, <laughs> and they'll, they'll not separate realities. They'll always say he's an Italian. And I know him from the neighborhood. Of course. And and and, and do people confuse you with Richie Afriel? And are, are people afraid of you sometimes when yeah. they meet you? Yeah, I've had that. I bet a you. I told me I, I got into a restaurant. I went into a restaurant. This is a, the guy said the waitress is nervous to 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 serve you. <laughs> what I do? What I say? He said you said nothing. She saw you on the show. <laughs> She's anxious. She won't serve you. She won't make a mistake or something. It's a, I've had that a few times. Yeah, people. Wait, did you hang out with? Did you ever hang out uh, with wise guys when you were coming up? No, I observed them. I never hung out with them, but I was able to. I'm from. You know where I'm from. You're from Brooklyn. Yeah. No, but I'm. You know what area I'm from. I do know the answer to this. Wait, I I know this. I'm from the toughest neighbor in the world, Brownsville, Brooklyn, Bro East New York, Brownsville, East New York. Okay. I, 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 I was raised there in the 50s and 60s. So what comes from, yeah, you, you, there are guys who their aspirations that in life is to be a tough guy or be a, right. And I'm sorry, you know, I grew up around that and I saw it and I observed it. And I, I, they were my friends, they would give me $5 Sometimes, yeah, if I could get on <laughs> when they were shooting crap in the streets when I was a kid, they used to say, you got to watch out because if Mario the cop comes around, you got to tell us. It was illegal in those years to shoot mm -hmm. crap in the gamble. So I knew these people with the rest. So of course I saw it and understood it and was able to, as an actor, channel it and sometimes mimic it. But I'm... A cream puff. <laughs> I am Are really you? a sissy, sensitive, sissy boy. Well, Jewish I, boys really don't nice, fight. I'm a nice Jewish boy. And <laughs> you know something? You know the Jewish mother's advice to the son who was going off to war in World War II was, don't butt in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the advice I've always been given by my grandmother. Just don't butt in. <laughs> and my other code, who I am, and I've always defined myself as, Jerry Lewis used to have a routine about, he's a nine-year-old boy, and who I am, and, and, and he would say to somebody, look, you could tell me to sit down. You could tell me, you could instruct me to go away. You could ask me to, 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 to stand up, but don't holler. I understand that. That's what I understand. I'm not a tough guy. I'm not. I'm a. I'm a cream puff. Did you ever? Did you get beat up when you were a kid? Did you ever get beat up? Were you like? Did with the Italian guys tough with you? You laugh. You're making yourself laugh. Why are you laughing? Yeah, because because I, I like you already, and I'm very comfortable with you. Good. And I'm being so honest with you. Right? Good. Have I ever gotten beaten up? Yeah, when you were a kid. I mean, the Jewish kid. Did you ever get beat up? But I had a transition. Okay. Here's what I did. You life. could talk your way out of it, I bet. No, no, no. I had a transition. No, no. It's a, this is this is all. I'm telling you the truth. I love it. I went from a nice Jewish boy 
Yeah. My, my grandmother was proud of when she oh. got me bar mitzvah and she made, mm -hmm. this was an adopted grandmother, it wasn't my biological grandmother. Uh-huh. But, but she was my grandmother. I, I went through a transition and I've gone through therapy over the years and-, and What and, Jew hasn't, David? What, who Jew, who, <laughs> what neurotic Jew hasn't, right. <laughs> but what happened was this, this brother-in-law that I talked to you about earlier, mm -hmm. and that kind of masculinity, that different kind of masculinity, that kind of proudful peacock kind of guy, a guy who stands mm. up in front of you like this, and you know doesn't hunch over like I, you know, like I do. But you know, the, the, that attitude, that arrogance, that that male strut, I took on, and I took on in a way when I was 14, 15, and 16, that I I turned my back on it all, and I did a great sin, and I'm going to show it to you. I got a tattoo. Oh, oh my God. My grandmother, Katz, is turning over in her grave right now. You know what my mother's maiden name is? What? Katz. No, stop. So is mine. K-A-T-Z. K-A-T-Z. My I'm mother's Vicky Clara Katz. Katz. We're related. And my grandmother's from Romania. My mother's Clara Katz. <laughs> oh, my okay. God. Sarah All right. Katz. All right, here we so go. I, look what I did. How did you do that? How did, did your mother because I was you? hanging out with the tough boys now. Oh my God. I wasn't hanging out with the nice Jewish boys anymore. Ay, ay, ay. Yes, exactly that. What you're doing right now was the, and I went, <laughs> I went crazy. And I did get into fights and I did get to be a tough kid in a way. I, 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 there was a part of me that wanted to, but that's the actor. You see, actors mm. are fucking born. Actors are cursed. Because at birth, they're actors, I believe, and you're cursed with it. And you look, because that's the actor in me. I wanted to take it on another personality, and it was acting. And I took, and that's the truth. And I went through therapy about that. It's the actor who needs, well, whatever. It was also, it was also had to do with a lot of what I perceive to be what Jewish male passive sexuality was about. Ah. Yeah, right. Big time stuff. <laughs> and I didn't want to be associated with that. I wanted to be the arrogant male, pro, you know, sexual creature and not not the not the passive. Um, excuse me. I'm sorry. That's OK. But Woody Allen. No, Woody, I'm, I'm, I'm doing Woody now. But Woody Allen, Woody Allen turned it into something very sexy. Jewish neurotic. Yes, he did. Yeah, he turned it into something sexy because he was smart but I turned it into something about uh, something else about and I and and also my teachers when I was a kid in the yeshiva all had were holocaust survivors they had numbers on their arms there were people you know this was very deep the thing about um praying to God and, and allowing yourself to be put on a cattle car I just completely deny I'm not going to be one of those people. I'm not going to ever allow my family or myself to be treated like the teachers I had who went through. I could cry now. It's You're making me cry. I had a lot right. of relatives with the numbers. Yeah. Right, 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 right. But 
but this is how I took it. I'm not going to be part of that. I'm going to be part of, I'm going to be a tough guy. Nobody's going to do that to me. But also I want to be an actor and all that. That's something. Anyway. All right. So let's talk about, did, did you ever, by the way, because I was a dark haired, <laughs> a, yeah, a dark haired Jewish girl from the Bronx trying to be an actress and you were a dark haired Jewish boy from Brooklyn. Did, did, did anyone ever try to change change you to try to make you more homogenous did you ever get screwed because you were ethnic it seems to have worked totally in your favor well it was it was you know in, in the early 70s with with Dustin Hoffman after the graduate mm. with um Al Pacino of course um after you know the godfather and, and what he did off Broadway was already um there was flavor of the month that, uh, right. It became that. I, you know, I, 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 yes, it was that time for a particular type, but I never, you see, look, um, I was blessed early to have a great manager, which I did not understand at all and how to cultivate the relationship, who wanted to design my career and didn't say. Wait, David, how did you get that manager? Through Terry Gar, remember Terry? You know, I Terry. love Terry Gar. Oh, don't know why. Young Frankenstein, who's funnier than Terry Gar? He was my scene partner, friend, was oh. managed by her, and mm -hmm. already her career was really in good shape. And she said, "I need you to meet my manager," and and I met with her, and uh, I was doing a play in L.A. at the time that John Voight produced for me with Carl Borak. Is this Pavlov Hummel? Yeah, Pavlov Hummel. Exactly. Now, how did you do that? Because Pacino started. Wasn't that his role first? Yeah. Well, what would happen was this: with with Pablo Hummel, 1973, 74. John got the play. John Boyd, who I, who really was very instrumental in your very, career. Yeah. Yeah, very. I mean, I, John has not been in my life for a lot of years, but without John, I would not met Martin Scorsese. Uh, I would not wow. have Pablo Hummel. And uh, then we had a movie we wanted to do together, which didn't work out, but John- How did you meet John? How did that relationship met start? John at a, my teacher, Jack Walzer. Jack Walzer, great teacher. Great I know you know, studied with Uta Hagen because I, I studied in Uta. HB later, but yeah, right. this is before that. No, no, I was oh. Uta earlier than Jack. Okay. But but and, and at HP Studio, but Jack I met out here in LA in mm -hmm. 1970, 71. and um, he was incredible. Mm -hmm. I'm still with him right now. He's 96 years old. We still have our classes. Jack Walter, John Voigt describes Jack Walter and Robert Duvall knows Jack and people. John Voigt describes him. He's been to the mountain. He's one of those <laughs> teachers who have been to the mountain. This man, wow. he's a magnificent teacher, magnificent and great actor. But uh, Jack Walton, I met him at Jack Walton's workshop. And uh, we were working in this workshop. Terry Gar was in the workshop and it was a wonderful workshop. Wow. And then he got this play. Mm -hmm. He said, look, Al Pacino did this play uh, in Boston first at the uh, St. Charles Theater with uh, David Wheeler. He said, it's been done. He says, but I, 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 I see you in this role. And he put it together for me to do as a showcase. 
after Main Street. I had done Main Street already, but he says, do, do this play and people will see that you're not the cousin of Martin Scorsese. <laughs> what was said after Main Street was, oh, he's an Italian guy. He's, you know what was said about me? Well, let me tell you something. I gotta tell this to you about the Italian, the Italian thing. I do this movie Mean Streets for Martin Scorsese. Which we're going to talk about how you got that. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay. And that's how I'm talking about. I do this movie Mean Streets. We finish the movie, movie, Warner Brothers, the movie, the screening, the movie. Uh, this guy, Ray Rapper, an agent says, you know what people are saying about you in the movie? That you're not an actor. I said, what? They said, you're Martin Scorsese's cousin. <laughs> people are saying he put in the movie because he wanted... He, he liked how you looked. You were you were heavy. You had a round face. What do you mean? Oh yeah, I guess in that movie you were. I was I was like yeah. the, the chubby one, the big the bigger one. Yeah, yeah. But I was chubby. I was eating a lot those a lot of bagels. <laughs> Not lasagna. Bagels. Just a lot of bagels and cream cheese. It wasn't lasagna that was putting on weight. All right. Okay. And my mother. I had a boy chick my bagel still, for breakfast today. My mother still, who's passed since, but she was with us. That still made potageri stuff, cabbage fricassee. My oh. mother still would make Romanian dishes. So that's what I was eating. Anyway, but he, he cast me in this movie. We finish the movie. It gets, this is what this agent says. They think you're just one of those guys. Oh, I said, God. well, that's kind of a great compliment because I'm not. Uh, I'm an right. actor. He says, I know that, but they don't think, they think you're a cousin or somebody put you. Now, listen, this is all true. I said, wow. I can't get, he says, but Harry Eflin, an agent who was De Niro, says he's going to give you a try, but he heard you're just one of those guys. So what I did was, and this is all true, I went to this agent's office. I put a yarmulke on that morning. <laughs> I did. <laughs> After I heard that I'm supposed to be Marty Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I go into this guy Harry Uflin's office and I sit down <laughs> and I go like this. Oi, vey, I don't feel well. Today. This guy started cracking up like he, started, he says, okay, or you're an actor, you're an actor. I got it. <laughs> oh so my God, like, that's fabulous. And and they said he's they said the mystery, he Harvey is Jewish. Harvey Keitel, you know. Right, that. of course. Jewish boy from Brooklyn. Yeah. Bob is one quarter Italian. He's not really. De Niro is, father is one quarter. His mother's Irish, German, but he's not really. You know, that I didn't know. No, I he's not. I did not know that. His father is like half Italian. He was an artist. Half. He's not really. Richie Romanos is Lebanese. Scorsese didn't hire one real Italian for that part of me streets for the four leads. Does wow. that one real? In fact, in fact, of the four, I probably am more Italian than any of them. <laughs> and that's the funny story about that one. And I'm the guy, and they said, No, that kid is really, he's just an Italian kid from that neighborhood, he's, which was a great compliment. Now, Wow. Now, the great film critic from, uh, uh, what, what, what's her name? The great one who used to do all the reviews. Oh, no, I've forgotten her name. The very famous film critic does a review on me. Pauline. Kale. No. Kale, Kale, yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Wonderful. Pauline <laughs> Between Kale. the two of us, we have a full brain. <laughs> cats is cats. We're cats. Is. <laughs> cats is. We're a couple of cats. 
Wow. Cool cats. Isn't that great? That's crazy. I did Isn't not it? know that. My Isn't research did not turn that up. That my is crazy. name is Clara Katz. Vicky Katz. It's my name. Oh my God. Okay, listen. Yes. This. Now I'm telling you this story. Whatever. So, so I'm the only real Italian. And they said, well, what is that? Oh, she said, Pauline Kale in her review says, Tony, the bartender, played by uh, David Proval, authentic performance. She says, authentic, round-faced, jovial, an authentic performance. Performance. <laughs> she hit it. She hit it. She saw the movie. You don't know something right now, and I'm going to say this. For authenticity, when people see that movie, Hey, listen, De Niro had a wonderful, fleshy, great role in it. And Harvey had this great role. For authenticity, nobody came near me. <laughs> and that's the goddamn truth. I, yes. I, <laughs> and when I, people saw that movie, when the guys who were from that neighborhood or the Italian guys from that neighborhood, they said, yeah, he's from the neighborhood. I could see it. Because because I was so relaxed and it was my first film. Well, so, well, okay, how did you get that film? Let's talk about how you got that film. All right, before we talk about that, before we get to Mean Streets, how the hell did you become an actor? You're a kid from Brooklyn, not, no money, right? There's no money in your- Very poor, very poor. Very poor. So how did you get exposed? I I, I know the answer my to grandma, this, but- my Grandma used to take me to the Hopkinson Avenue Yiddish Theater. In Brownsville, there was a Yiddish theater, legitimate theater. And she would take me there, and but it was all in Yiddish, you know. They would, and I just I looked up and, and, and I love the makeup. They all looked orange to me on stage, and I love that they looked orange. This is, look how beautiful they look. They look orange, you know. They, they look so alive. And she would take me there. She says, "You love this? Yes, I like this a lot." And she would introduce me to theater, and she was wonderful that way. And she put me in a little boys' choir when I was a, about seven, eight years old. And I, hadn't, I still had a good singing voice. Anyway, I had a very good singing voice. Wow, have you sang on, have you sang no, in- No, in... no, no, I sing to sometimes in the car and I'll sing again. Uh, <laughs> my one musical audition was for Anthony Quinn. And I'll tell you, yeah, yeah. And it was- For? For Zorba the Greek. Get out of here. He, want, he, want, he was doing the musical Zorba. Yeah. He came, he saw me on stage in Requiem for Heavyweight. Now the Which you were nominated for a drama desk for. Yeah. And that was supposed to be a Tony nomination, but it was a technicality. But anyway, uh, a lot of things went on. What was I saying just now? You what? were talking about, um, a, wait, a singing voice? Wait, no, going to the Yiddish theater, wait a minute. With grandma, yeah. With grandma. And she put me in this choir. Oh, the choir, right. I mean, to tell you how I, why I knew I had to be in theater. And, and in this choir, Sutnik, the tailor, had a choir in my neighborhood, which traveled to like Lakewood, New Jersey. This is enormous, Lakewood, New Jersey. <laughs> and, you know, and they would sing at, at old age homes, Jewish songs to old, Jewish old age homes. Old sure. Jewish, very Jewish. Okay, and, and uh, he put me in the choir to sing. Like that, you know, they even sing and big voices behind me. And I had a little little baby voice. And the, they had Bobby Edelman, terrible kid, who had a great singing <laughs> voice. Oh, this kid was a horror. He was a nightmare. Bobby Edelman. I'll never he forget. He was a horror. 
Well, what a singing voice. He had a gift. This kid could sing, but he was a terrible kid. And anyway, him and I and, and one other kid, and we traveled. And I went to Lakewood, New Jersey, it was. And my mother taught me um, the song, uh, My Yiddish Mama. Oh, sure. Which is a killer. I was eight years old and I knew <laughs> the song. I knew the song and I could sing it in English and I could sing it some, in Yiddish as a kid. Well, Sutnik says to me, you know, David, I'm going to have you sing My Yiddish Mama today in front of these people. I was at an old age home. I'll never forget this. Never in my life. It made, and and I, I said, oh, okay, me, I was, I get up and I sing it. And uh, I never, I haven't told this story, I don't know in how many years. I mean, I'm getting very emotional right now telling this story. And I get up and I sing it. And I'm so happy to sing it because I'm looking, I see the faces of these old Jewish people go, Oh, these people were loving me. They wanted to, they, you know, they were so loving. I've never felt such love from an audience Boy. like that. They were giving me so much. I remember it. I remember it. And I kept singing. And I thought, oh, oh. A lady comes up to me and she grabs my hand. A little old Yiddish lady comes up and grabs my hand and puts something in my hand and, and says, to Bista you are a good boy. Okay. <laughs> right? Like that. And and she's crying. She's crying and holding. And she walks away and I open it up. It's a $20 bill. Wow. Back then, that's a lot of money. I kind of, I knew it's $20. I went up to Sutnik. I said, he says, put it away, Fez. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I got I to do this for a living. They paid wow. to have such a great time. I made $20. He never paid something. He just, right. <laughs> <laughs> I just got $20 and had the best time of my life. Wow. And were you doing like school plays and stuff? Yeah, I you did were, school plays. You did school plays. And I was in a play. I have another funny story about a school play. A guy, a, a wonderful teacher by the name, Mr. Moody, a black teacher I had in, in uh, Brooklyn. Where did, where, what school was it in, in Brownsville? Junior high, school, junior, junior high school 263. I went to first 66, which was the murder, murdering school. And then they put me in 263. And the, the drama coach came up to me and said, look, you're the clown of the class. I'm going to put you in a play. I wrote a play. It was an American propaganda play. And he said, Mr. Moody, I'll never forget. Mr. Moody, and I'm going to put you in the play. You're going to get up, and he writes this speech. And the speech was, my name is Ivanovich Grandovich Brondovich. I run this prison camp, you know, like that. And I said, can I do it with an accent? He says, yeah, you can do it. I do it with a Jewish accent, you know. So he says, okay. Now I get up, and I see my friends are sitting there, you know, all the kids from school. Uh -huh. there, and my friends are going, oh, he's going to make a fool of himself. And I'm going... I nice. say, my name is Ivanovich Grandovich Gefilterfish. <laughs> Improvise a line. I get this enormous laugh from the teachers. Enormous laugh I get. And I'm loose now. I got them. I got a big <laughs> laugh. I get off stage and the teacher says to me, Mr. Moody says, did you say Gefilterfish? <laughs> I said, no. I, I, oh. I wouldn't know. He said, yes, you did. Yes, you did. He says, you know, I'm going to tell you something. You have an incurable authority problem. <gasps> I said, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Moody. He said, you should be in theater. 
<laughs> oh, that's hysterical. He sent me a letter after I did the movie Nunzio to oh, Universal. We'll talk Studios. about that too. In 1977, I got a letter. This is there's a letter here from a guy named Mr. Moody. I said, Mr. Moody, he, he's got to be 100 years old. And oh my God, you're letter. giving me goosebumps. He saw the movie. He went to see the movie and he just wrote me a note. I'm emotional again. I know. I have goosebumps. He wrote me a note. Keep up the good work, Mr. Moody. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. The things that get us to where we're going. It's the teachers it's, in our life are what they've meant to us. The teachers in our life are what they've meant to us, you know. And you Mr. have teachered Moody. and mentored others. And we talked about this before we went on the air, and I just want to touch on it right. because right. the reason that you're here today is because when I interviewed Mark Metcalf, he said, you have to, you, ha you have to have David Proval. I said, David Proval, we were in the M word together. Yeah, we, right. were, we were co-starring and I had no, an idea. No. And, uh, <laughs> and, but you know, he said, he, 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 he you were coaching at the time. Yeah. He said, you wouldn't believe the people that, that were in that workshop with David Proval. And he said, and he was the best. He said, he changed my life. He changed my, my acting. Wow. He worships you. He thinks you are just a genius. Wow. And, um, yeah. And that and that's what got you here. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, so you are you mentored and you coached others. Oh, you have to tell the Eddie Murphy story because I didn't tell you uh, this at the beginning start. because Eddie Murphy started out in an improv group on Long Island called yeah. the Laughter Company, and I was in that group after he left. Yeah. So anyway, so go ahead. Tell tell your Eddie Murphy story. Eddie Murphy story. Well, I was hired. Um. They called me. They said, look, we're doing this movie. We got this kid. We got a real problem. I want you to see some film on him. Uh, the, the, what were the Gordon brothers, I used to call them the, the Jewish guys from Georgia. These producers, the Gordon brothers, remember them? They, I, no, I don't they know. They were pretty they... hot for a while. They were doing oh. a lot of movies. So they got this movie, 48 Hours, with Nick Nolte. And they called me. One of the Gordon brothers saying, "Well, you know, we heard you're a very good teacher, coach." That has Southern accent, and uh, but the Jewish guys from Alabama. I, I want you to come in, and I, want <laughs> and I go in there, and then GQ guys are very fashionable, very cool. Yeah. But they got this Southern accent. The Jewish guys from the South. So, all right, okay, I go in, and they said, "Look, we got this kid. This kid can't act, but he's a big star right now." I didn't know anything about Saturday Night Live. I didn't know anything about it. I was out of touch with everything that was going on as I am right now. But I was even more so then. I was, I was out of touch. I didn't know who Eddie Murphy he was a star already. He was on Saturday Night Live. Right. He's got a big uh, TV show. I said, oh, okay, really? He says, but he, he's really the kid can't act. Well, what, what do you want? What do you want? They offer me a lot of money. And if they offer me a lot of money, uh, that's fine because I need money. I'm an out-of-work out actor and I'm still looking for work as an actor at the time. Right now, it doesn't mean that to me, but then it did. Mm -hmm. For me, that was a lot. I said, okay, what do you want? Okay, uh, you got to go up to his house. I said, no, 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 no. I don't go up to his house. I'm the teacher. Good for you. No, I, these guys are more, I said, you know, the man goes to the mountain. The mountain doesn't go to the man. <laughs> you know, I, come on. He says, oh, well, he's busy. He's busy? Well, then you be busy, and that's it. I don't want to know from your money. I'm not going to his house. Wow. You know, like that. They were making out of him already, like, go to his house. Hey, 
fuck do I give you? She's fucking cute. <laughs> All right. Now we're home. Cheryl, my wife, is in, we had an apartment on Beachwood Drive in Hollywood. And Cheryl's in the living room. I'm in the back one afternoon and she screams, David! And I run and there's this black kid standing in my blood bedroom, no, in my living room, holding the TV guy. But he just walked in and she got, she got frightened. Wow. And she, she, she got frightened, she screams out. He says, hey, I made the cover of TV guy, which was a funny entrance. He wanted to impress me, I, got I know actors. You know, he, he made his entrance. So he was going to be, I could care less what I said to him. And I meant it. I'm on the Zoom. Yeah, there's a woman here. There's a woman. The there's a woman. And in if the I was Cheryl, I wouldn't like it either. I'd have to come in and see who she is. There's a woman in the bedroom, Cheryl. She's a blonde. She's gorgeous. Look at her. And she's Romanian. And, all right. and a cat. And a cat. Okay, now this guy I and mean, i see what he is already and he's he's is he arrogant is he oh, very, very oh, yeah. floating and he you know i see this and i can't i don't we're talking about i can't talk to you now <laughs> eddie murphy eddie murphy Whoa. all right so now oh i love her already <laughs> now i got to um i don't know how to begin talking to this kid because so I give him a record to hear, a singer I wanted to listen to. Now I've forgotten who it was. I said, I want you to listen to the singer. Take this up. He said, what? I said, I just want you to listen to the singer and tell me what you feel about it. I had an idea of how to work with it. And it, it can't be, you know, where I say, I'm not going to direct this kid. I'm going to find out what he's about. Mm -hmm. And sometimes music is the best. That's very interesting. Uh -huh. But he came back. And he said, I understand why you wanted me to listen to it. I said, do you? He said, yeah. And we talked. And I saw, okay, now I can work with this guy. Because he did. He, he understood. Well, me. can you tell us what that was that you wanted it's, him to find? It's, it's I, I wanted him to tell me what that particular piece of music and that particular rendition and that singer and his voice and why can't I remember now what, what singer it was and, and if it touched him and where it touched him and how it touched him and why it touched him and what it made him feel and all that. Was it because that the character that he was going to play was reminiscent? No, I just wanted no. to know him. It was about him. Oh. He came back, he came back and he said, I, I don't know, it just meant nothing to me. Well, I, that would tell me a lot too, you know, mm. but he didn't, he didn't. He says, I listened very, and, and his, and then I said, now I think we can talk. And he was right there. Wow. Smart enough to not understand, well, smart. His instinct was right to know I want to bring him. Now, I go to this first day, they're ready to fire this kid. And no they kidding. Some, they showed me some film on him. And I turned to them and I said, get Gregory Hines. <laughs> He can oh act. Remember him? Yeah, of course. Hein Tines and Dad from the I watched, I watched this piece of film he showed me. I said, this kid can't act. Get Gregory Hines. And, and you don't have to pay me. I said to them, 
He said, we can't, can, we can't. We, we spent money in San Francisco. You know how they get. All right, anyway. Well, plus he was already a big star from Saturday Night Live. And plus to get yeah. the kids, you know, he's better than Gregory Hunt. Yeah. And Gregory Hunt could dance and act. Do you and, remember Heinz, Heinz and Dad from yes, the state? Yeah. Magnificent dances and, and he's a wonderful actor. Anyway, we've got to shoot this scene. And this is just, it's like a Godfather story without the chip. But they, if this kid couldn't deliver, if I'm coaching they, they were in trouble because McNulty was upset, whatever. We're in a jail cell. They're going to shoot a scene in a jail cell. And he's in jail. And Nick Nolte's coming there to free him, to bring him out. This is a movie, 48 Hours. Right. right. And I gave him, I talked to him about what the jail cell, he understood everything I was saying. I said, what are you listening to? He had, a, he had, had he says, I don't know. I said, whatever music comes on, when the man says action, play the music and sing. He says, not in the script. I said, listen to me. Play the music, whatever the song is, sing. Okay. He loved it. So, okay. No, okay. not because of you, he started singing Roxanne. Roxanne! Oh, stop. You did that? I didn't do it. You know who did it? God did it. Because on the radio, the music Roxanne came on, and that's when he started singing Roxanne. I cannot believe you. <laughs> that's one of the most no, memorable no. moments in know. film history. I didn't oh. do that. No, God did that for him. Wow. Someone is blessed. An actor is blessed, and that moment is there. Everything falls. In. I didn't do that. I just said to him, put it on. Whatever music comes on, sing the song. And he sings it, and they go... And I see the director, and he loves it. The director loves it because directors oh. love to be surprised, and they love when an actor will take a chance. Well, sometimes, sometimes they don't love it. Aaron Sorkin, not so much, right? <laughs> <Okay>. Sometimes. <laughs> and all I can hear is, "How much does it cost us for that song?" Well, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> How much is it going to cost us? So I see the kid, and he felt real good. He felt good. Wow. And then I said to him, "Look, when Nolte walks up to you." There's a black kid. I was raised in Brownsville. It was a black neighborhood. I know a lot of black people. I was raised. Sure. My mother was a matron in a black movie house. I used to go to the movies every day because my mother worked there. Clara Katz. She worked in <laughs> a movie house with black people. I know black people. I, I said to Eddie Murphy one day, "I'm a lot blacker than you." <laughs> raised on Long Island. He was raised on Long Island. He lived in a house. I lived in a tenement. Don't tell me about what's black. He said to me one day. You know, you white people don't understand some comedy. You know, I said, hey, personally, I'm Jewish. We're the funniest people on earth. He said, no, you're not. We're probably <laughs> Oh, my God. So this, that is hysterical. This is now, it's lit. You're on for more than an hour and a half. We're talking an hour and a half? No, we've been talking for 40 minutes. <laughs> Clara. I'm, no, that's not Clara. That's Cheryl. Oh, that's Cheryl. No, 4.45. But we weren't on the air till 5 o'clock. But we weren't on till 5 o'clock. This is a funny interview. So, so um, what happens is, I say to him, when he comes to you, when he walks towards you, now, Nolte has very blue eyes. I say, look in his blue eyes. Know how blue they are. 
and know what that means to you. God, and he's here to save you. Is the lovely lady you're talking to going to let you see this before she releases it? No, we're live. Tell Cheryl we're live. Great. You're the interview. This is the new thing, man. Close the door. Anyway, he does it. He understood what I meant. The white savior is coming to save you, right? And he knew exactly what I meant. Wow. In his eyes, know what it means to you. I'm still, I can't get out of my head. That it that you planted that seed that got him to sing Roxanne in that movie, which I will never forget. I, I can see it as clear well, as daylight. I just oh my God, that is incredible. Believe me, whatever history. Well, I believe in divine it, intervention and all that stuff, but still. And people have a whole other thing about that. It's just just simply. Yeah, but you triggered that. All right, all right. So let's go back. So you're you want to be an actor? You're doing you you're doing things. How, how does oh, Mean Streets happen? How do you get your fir- your first film? Oh well, Barney Scorsese wanted John Voight for the lead, and because John had had because for- he's so Italian looking. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> well, what he said to me was. Um, what he said to me was, look, uh, Monty and I share this Catholicism and the struggle with their Catholicism, and they share that, and they both had aspirations to be the church, you know, John thought of, took it, I think, he gave it some thought, and Marty thought that possibly his path would be that of, I don't know if you know this. What? But that's because he had possibility of becoming a priest you know, I hear this yeah is that really true no, no, no but seriously seriously he struggles with his Catholicism and that's mm-hmm. what it's about and that's what the other movie is about mm-hmm. so we want them so him and John and you know John had a name already he was a big star already um he, he had this and plus John called me and said look I said to him look I'll do this movie if you do the other role and that's when I'm, I was two years, a year before, I was very thin at the time. Uh, <laughs> I put on 60, 40 pounds. And went, that's not all my life I do that. But anyway, he said, if you do the other role, I'll do that role, John said to me. And then he finally said to me, look, what am I going to do? Dye my hair black and break my nose for your career? And I said, no, of course you can't do that. He couldn't do the role. You're right. Well, yeah, I mean, come on, Italian. Well, he, wouldn't do it. he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He said to Maury, the best advice he said to him, get unknown faces. Don't take, yeah, don't, don't, don't get a star thing to do. And he was right. But Bob already had a lot of interest in Bob. Coppola was right. already interested in him. You know, it didn't come out of nowhere. That right, right. We met Marty through Barry Primus. But um, then, that fell apart. Marty came back months later, and I got a call, and they said, Marty would like you to do uh, another role in the movie. Uh, and I met him, and he says, oh, yeah, Marty, put on weight. I said, yeah, I put on about 40 pounds. He says, oh, great. He, you know, he just wanted a fat guy, I think. Like that. <laughs> but what he got was the most authentic performance. <laughs> in his ensemble, me. No, I mean that. I, I, well, jokingly, I mean it. I, I mean it in Mean Streets. He might have, he said something one time, he hurt my feelings, Marty. I, I How so? Him. He said, I cast David Provo because I loved his Italian look and uh, 
his um, robust, his chubbiness. So he didn't say chubbiness. He said this, you know, he looked like he was eating lasagna a lot of the time. <laughs> and I said, Jesus Christ, I thought he cast me because he saw my work, you know, and I felt badly about it. But I confronted him with it. Did you really? Oh, yeah. I said, you hurt my feelings. I read that. He says, no, you would say, oh, I love you. You know, he's a very, he, he, he's a effusive guy. He, he's lovely. Did you audition for him? How did you get the part? I auditioned for it. He saw me in class and I was just working with Richard Romanos. He saw the two of us and he said, wow, I don't want that guy in my movie. And he knew what he wanted. And uh, I, I saw him at the vinyl, at the show the vinyl, rap party. The uh, vi vi just vinyl, the Ray Romano, that yeah. was your, yeah, yeah. And uh, he um, was always so affectionate and so warm. Uh, and look, he, he tried putting me in taxi driver. Wow. But he didn't, I said, you know, I went and he says, what do you want to do with this role? And, you know, so it was a nice cameo. And I told him what I thought. He says, gee, I don't agree with that, dude. This is not how you should play. And then we had a little problem with that. He wound up doing the role himself in Taxi Driver, the one I wanted to do. And he wasn't very good. <laughs> you know, which I'm happy to say. You would have been much better. Oh, oh yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I would have killed it. But he didn't really understand that. He wanted me to do something else. And then he wanted me somewhere else, but it didn't work out. But he's been nice to me. You know. Did you guys know when you were making Mean Street, you couldn't possibly have any idea the cold status that was to come from that film. But did you know making it that that there was something brilliant there? Did you know? Um, no, I, 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 what I knew was I watched this guy and I didn't know too much about filmmakers. I had done a television show. I did an industrial film. I didn't know. But I watched Scorsese on the set when mm -hmm. I wasn't working. And I watched him and I said, there's, there's something going on with this guy. He, 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 and I, somebody said, you know what he's doing? What's uh, a filmmaker said? He edits on his feet as he watches the scene. As he Wow. He's so he's like it's a film. He's a, well, he's he's a genius, well. yeah, hell yeah. He's a genius. He says, and he watches, and he's a great audience to act for. And I remember that he would laugh, cut, and then crack up. Oh, you guys, he loved watching, you know. And you feel it. You feel that the guy goes, "Oh, these guys are great." You know, you do that, and you love that. That's he's that kind of. At least he was those years. Wow. And so then how did Nunzio happen after that? Oh, um, I was doing Pablo Hummel and a playwright came. To see okay, so so John got, produced Pablo Hummel. That's how that happened. Yeah, John and Carl Borak. And um, a guy came to see it and said, wow, I, I want to write for you. And I said, okay. And then two years later, he comes back with a script. <laughs> a guy came to see the play, a writer wound up starring and writing in it and what wrote the script now Richard Dreyfus, who was also my friend in my life at the time who has the same of, birthday as me by the way and I've gotten to tell him that Richard's a wonderful guy another great guy I, see, I keep saying this but I've been so lucky to have sweet mm. people in my life and I'm, I, I'm out of touch with everybody but that's my fault but uh, um, 
Richard Dreyfus. What was I saying just now? Brought me we, a script. We were talking about how you went from Pablo Hummel to Nunzio. Richard brought me a script that I thought was just silly, but he said, well, you can make it work, but this other guy brings me this script and the similar kind of, the, uh, no, the character was a, one guy had a fantasy of being Tarzan, the other guy had a fantasy of being Superman. Both guys had a retardation, a mental challenge, mentally challenged guys, but one had a sweet story to it, one had a ridiculous story to it. And I said, this is great, this thing. And I brought it to Paul Williams, not the singer, but a director, Paul Williams, who lives in Brazil now, who wrote a book. And I'm in the book a lot. Elliot told me this morning, and I'd like to get the book and see what he wrote about me. But anyway, um, I haven't been in touch with him at all. Uh, he, I brought him the script, and he, he loved it for me. And he brought it to Universal Studios. I said, where, where, where? Jennings Lang. I said, Jennings Lang. I mean, that's crazy. He's on the 14th floor of the Black Tower in Universal. I'm, where, where is he going to? He, want, he, read the, he wants to meet you. Meet me, Jennings Lang, 14th floor. I go up to the 14th floor. Big office, you know, those guys, Jennings Lang, Sid Scheinberg, you know, who was come on, the Giants, the Giants. I go into this office and I'm in tongs and the, the sweatpants. I don't know what I was doing. I was a little crazy. In and he says, so what do you got? What do you got? What do you want from me? This Jennings language. Great guy. Old movie mogul. The typical old movie <laughs> lawyer, handsome, you know, uh, uh, man in the 70s, 60s, late 60s, really, but really sharp, handsome guy. Everything's he's too cool. And uh, he's got a picture I threw on his desk and it's Golda Meir. Written to him. Wow. God, Golda Meir. Uh, you know, who am I sitting with? Neither schmuck, I'm guy coming. He's gonna throw me out of this office. What am I doing here? <laughs> he's on the phone and he's screaming. And he says, well, tell Redford to go. And he's screaming. <laughs> I said, what am I doing here? He's screaming at Robert Redford's lawyer. And I'm, I got to get out of here. But, but Paul's saying, just sit, sit, sit. Tell him about the movie. Just sit. And he gets off the phone. He's saying, ah, Redford, that piece of you. <laughs> I'm sorry you're having problems with Robert Redford today, but. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So you're sitting there, like you feel kind of, uh, I, all I did was Mean Streets and a play and a couple of things. And I, I, no, I worked in by then. But uh, he said, so what do you got? What do you got? Oh, who are you? What's your name? I said my name. He said, oh, all, right, all right. So what, what, what do you want to tell me? I said, well, we have a screenplay we want to talk about. He said, I didn't read your screenplay yet. What, <laughs> what do you want to do? So we talked. I'm telling him about the movie. He says, yeah, tell them about the movie. And the writer is waiting in the outer office. He said, show me a scene from the movie. And he acted for me. I said, what? He says, act a scene for me. Wow, on the spot? On the spot. Wow. This, is, this guy was, I, I go out to the writer and I said, do this scene with me. And give me, I said, can you give me 10 minutes or something? I got to. He says, yeah, yeah, I know, prepare. I know method, you know, he's very, <laughs> uh, I know you guys, you gotta prepare, yeah. <laughs> you know one of those? 
<laughs> but I go out and I do what I have to do. And I come back in and I do this scene for him. And I look up and he's all welled up. He's got tears in his eyes. And uh, yeah, he was very touched by the work and what the scene was. And give me the script, I'll read the script. But he was emotional. He says, all right, you can act. You're, you're an actor. All right, you're all right, kid. And that's how we got it done. Wow. Okay, so before Cheryl starts yelling at me, I feel like, okay, we got to get to the Sopranos, because we can't not talk about the Sopranos, even though we're skipping a bit. You did, you've done, what, 150 plus television shows, we're going to talk about a few of those, we'll get those in too, but so many films. How, how, okay, so how did the Sopranos come to you? Um, I met first uh, to read for Tony Soprano. Wait, Um, what? I'm, they've had me in to read for the, the Tony role. Uh, really? They were casting the pilot, yeah. And they said, well, we really like you a lot, but you, again, once again, the Italian look, you look too right. We don't, you're too on the nose. We don't want, and they were right. Of course they were right. That's so interesting. Because if you look at Jimmy's face, Jimmy has the sweetest, if you really look at Jimmy Gallifini's face, He's a gentle, very sweet face. If you really look at him, he's, he looks like the guy next door. The you guy, looks, you can look scary. The, the face looks Romanian. They didn't know it was right. Romanians are scary too, but the gamblers, <laughs> you know what Paul Muni said about Romanian Jews? What? Um, they only have two choices in life, to be gamblers or actors. That's all they can wow. do. Wow. Paul Muni said that. Wow. The Paul Muni quote. My mother was a poker player. Wow. And a cigar smoker, I heard. I smoked cigars too back in the day. That's wild. My mama. Okay. Yeah. So, all right, give it to the soprano. So, so they had you come in and read for, for, um, for Tony. Right. And I didn't get it. And uh, then I heard that first season was amazing. I love the pilot. I loved it. I said, Jesus, they're onto something. And I remember Chaz Palmateri, I bumped into him in a, in a uh, supermarket. He says, have you ever read that thing called The Sopranos about a wise guy who goes to psychiatry? He hated it. Get out of here. Yeah, they, were offered, they offered it to him. Or something like that. Or they were really seriously considering this. That would have been a very different show. It wouldn't have been a show. Nothing yeah. would have happened. The show is the show because it's yes. me and David. And that's all. There's no show. Without James Gallifini? No. I mean, everybody surrounding it was brilliant, too. Everybody. But I I gotcha. Yeah. Without him, it's nothing. I know. That's why they gave him $10 million. After the first season, they gave him $10 million. Wow. To stay on the show. Wow. Not to get too crazy. Yeah, because there's no show without him. So, uh, and there was... All right, so you don't get the part. I don't get the part, but I get... I'm in New York for some reason, and uh, I'm walking. Um, Who cares? What's his name's wife? The actor's walking. Christopher Walken's wife uh, uh, with a G. Uh, I know who... Georgian. Georgian Walken. Georgian Walken? Georgian. So has me in for the Sopranos to read for some character. I'm saying, ah, I didn't get the big role. I'm not going to get one. They got guys, 10,000 guys. Where they have 
But I read these signs. And I say, these writers know what they're doing. God, by the name of Frank Renzulli, wrote this, the, this, the first, the show I introduced is Richard Perot. Mm -hmm. I said, my God, this is very good writing for that genre, for those people who I know so well. You know, I know them. I know them. I know how they speak. I know what they'll say. And that's what made that show too. Mm -hmm. And like Frank Renzulli, who knew the music. And David did too. He recognized the music of the dial and the things that have said. I said, I'm going to go after this. Uh, I go up and I read for her. On the video, you got to read. Right. She says, okay. And I leave. I go, all right. So go home to California, get a phone call. Oh, they want you to come back in. Come back in where? New York? Come here in LA. Get yourself back. I fly myself back. Uh -huh. On your own dime? Yeah, of course. They wouldn't send me. No one send me. I'm telling you all the truth. I read again. And I'm walking out. She says, Look, look, where are you going to be in the next week? She's wild now, Georgiana. I said, Georgiana, do I have this? Dude? Just listen to me. Georgiana Walken's great. She's great when she's when casting directors, when they, they know they got you. I says, oh, Okay. Uh, can you stay here a week? I'll, I'll say, I'll find the couch, I'll, I'll, I'll stay a week. And I go back in, and that's uh, a week later for the third reading. I said, what are they making out of this role? You know, you, you, you're an actor, you understand. Why are they? Because they had plans for it. If it worked, only if it worked. I didn't work because they kept writing and writing and writing for me, and it worked. Uh, um, the thing was this, I go back in and that's the story, the audition story. I chose a shirt that I thought a wise guy, a cheap Italian looking knit. It's, you know, they, they, they would buy these guys. I knew them so well. I knew how they dressed. I knew what they were thinking. I knew when I put on that shirt, I was thinking, oh, look at me. Whoa, I'm <laughs> so gorgeous here. Every, every blonde in the world is gonna fall down. You know, those guys, you know, I know how confident they are. In their masculinity, you know, and, it's, <laughs> and I love that. I, it's, it's just fun to watch. Anyway, sometimes silly, but it's fun to watch. <laughs> so, so, so I go, I go in. I'm wearing the shirt, and we finished the reading, and it was James Galatini. He looks at me and he says, "Off book." Richie, where'd you get that shirt? And he says it to me. It's a beautiful reading, and all I can say to him is. You don't like this shirt? He said, I didn't say that. I said, no, no, I get what you're saying. He said, no, I didn't say that, Richie. <laughs> I'm just asking you where you got it. I said, hey, hey, don't fuck with me. You don't like my shirt? And he loved it. And we got off. Well, wow. As HBO, all the suits are sitting there. You know, they're so nervous to cast this role. And we just went off book and they're like, they love what they saw. You know, wow. Now they say stand up next to each other. And when I'm standing up, Jimmy keeps getting up. He's a big guy. <laughs> he you know, keeps I, getting I, up. I'm, I'm a little guy. I get up once. He gets up and keeps going. And, keeps going. and, and I look and I say, this is going to blow the job right now. This is going to blow the job. Because this guy looks like a, a building next to me. And I, look, <laughs> you know, and and I look at this crowd and I say to them, look, 
I play six four. <laughs> I get a big laugh. And he looks at me, he goes, oh, he went like, I'm not saying, you know, don't, don't get nervous. And I walk out of the office. I figure, I don't give a shit. There were two very famous actors waiting to go in to read. I'm the, just, for the same part? Same part, which got me crazy. That they had <laughs> two guys who had a lot bigger names than me. They were big stars coming in to read for the same. They were big, they were famous. Right. And I said, I'm walking out. I got two famous guys. I'm like, I go to a museum, natural, the Museum of Natural History. I, I, I just wandered in there. The one that has the dinosaur, right? Yeah. And I walked in. I, I don't know why I took myself to the museum after the reading. I had to go somewhere. I went to a museum and I looked at the dinosaur. And I said, this is what this business makes you feel as small as this. Look at the size of this dinosaur. Wow. And this dinosaur didn't want to be a movie star. <laughs> <laughs> when you're big like that, you know, <laughs> when you're short like me, you want to be. <laughs> no, I, I went, to, I, I got back to the room, the phone's ringing. I pick it up. It's my agent said, You got it. I said, Got what? You got it. I said, Oh, all right. I got the show on. Yeah, oh, it's emotional. She said, no, no, you don't get this. You're a regular on the show. They offered you like seven shows. I thought it was two, one show or two shows. Oh. I just wanted to do the role. I didn't think it was a reoccurring. It was not. It was a regular on the show. That's why they were making a big deal about it. Because it Sure. You know. And what a huge, I mean, iconic character that's absolutely unforgettable. Your whole, did you know, did you know when you started that you were getting one season? Um, yeah, I, I no, I no, I didn't. But what happened was that they kept writing. They were writing for me, you know. And and Zigfeld, the Zigfeld Theater had an opening scene. It was amazing. They fly me to back to New York after I do the show. Mm -hmm. I get back to New York to go to the premiere of the second season. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be the first two shows. I'm in the third show. And I said, I'm safe. I'll just go. I'll sit. I'll relax. Say hello to people. I won't have to worry about my work. Mm -hmm. I go to the Zigfeld Theater. The streets are jammed with people. Jammed. It was insane. Michael Imperioli comes up to me. He says, do you feel like the Beatles? <laughs> It was insane. People were all over the place because of the first season. The sure. cops were there. The cops were there. It was like a Hollywood thing or whatever. So I go in, but I'm going to sit and relax. David Chase gets up and makes an announcement. He says, you know, we were going to show the first two shows this year, but because of plot reasons, which was a lie, complete lie, we're showing the first and third. I said, oh, no, I'm in the third show. Oh, no. I, I wasn't there. I thought I was there, but you, you know, I wasn't going to see my, you know how nervous you are. People, oh, God, no. And they show the first show. No, wait, why, why did they not show the second show? Okay. He said it because of plot reasons later in the season. They didn't want to give plot away and were being very secretive. He played the third show. What was told to me by the producers later on when everybody got to know me. They wanted to show you off. Yeah, that's all. 
that's so, I'm being honest now. I don't want to. Of course, every yes, of course. Their performance. They saw their performances. Let's get a show profile. We'll hook them into the season, and that's what I was told. But he got on and said, "Plot reasons, never, never plot. It didn't mean anything." But they want their show, so I didn't know that. I right. Thought, I thought it's plot reasons, and now I'm going to sit and. You know, so I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there. Drea DeMeo is sitting next to me and she remembered this. She remembered this happening. And I was sitting there and there's a scene, the scene where I hit him with the coffee pot. Where I hit him with the coffee pot. And I was, and I was at a point where I'm watching that character, what I was doing there, very separate from myself. I had, hmm. And I turned to Drea and I said, that guy's got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Because I really just saw, and you know what? I, I saw it and it, it was, I know who that guy was, Frank and Geneva, because I've seen, you asked me if I've ever seen a neighbor some tough guys. I seen somebody do something that was once, I'm so stunned by hit somebody in a way that was, <gasps> how can you do that? And then I saw myself do it. <laughs> And I always thought Frankie Geneva has a serious problem. And, and, and it was a moment I said, Jesus, I'm just looking at this character, not myself. And that was great. That was good. I was able to separate myself that way. And, and so, time, so, so you didn't know that it was going to be a one season run when you no, start? No, no, no. And how did they and break they that to you? HBO came to me at one point and I chose it. We had an idea. We want to take Richie April and put him in Philadelphia. So, yeah, he's going to start his own thing in Philadelphia. And every once in a while, we'll bring him, him and Jimmy will have, he'll have a Philadelphia. I said, wow, hallelujah. I'm going to make a few dollars finally in my life. But, but David Chase and this, that was, this, we don't do that. It's going to happen. He was calling it spinoff. It wasn't a spinoff. It was in the show. We're not a spinoff. What, what are we, a comedy? You know? mm. He was right. He was right. He was right. It was extending something that should not, because when they let it go, I said to David Chase when he called me with that, that, that call that they give, you're off the show. <laughs> I knew I was, and there was women. I didn't know, and I didn't know. But he gave me the call, and I said, uh, "He, I said, is this the governor's call? Do I get a reprieve?" <laughs> he said, "No, I wish I could. I wish I could." You know, I said, "I think you're right." How many times can I look, you know, look stare at him with anger? How many, you know, leave it go, leave it go. This and what a way to go! Yeah. Yeah, what, what, what a way to go. And it was brilliant with that because he said, who should shoot you? He said to me one day, I said, none of them are smart enough to shoot me. You know that. He says, I know. You're right. And he figured it out. Wow. It was such a shock. It's such a shock when you see it. Did you think any of those guys can get Richie? No. Not, not, <laughs> you know what's so amazing about the show? I gotta, David, I gotta do something for one second. Yes, go do what you have now. to do. <laughs> oh, having fun with David Provel and Cheryl in the other room. This is a riot. <laughs> so, um, Terry, I don't think I'm going to get to your question about innocent blood because I don't think I'm going to have David for very much longer and I have no, to cover no. a couple of under the bed. The dog was under the bed. Uh oh. Uh oh. Um, 
I was just going to tell you that this, I watched The Sopranos like everybody else in real time. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't binge in those days. We watched in real time. There was no place we were going to be on Sunday night except watching The Sopranos. Except recently, my kids started watching. And because of them, we started re-binging. And we just, I just watched the whole thing again. As brilliant now as ever, if not more so. You one scary motherfucker. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm scary. Uh, I'm scary. So how did you go from playing Richie April to being a rabbi on the West Wing? How did that happen? Well, that's easy. We just talked about that. You know that. Uh, I I was so happy to go into that synagogue on Wilshire Boulevard. <laughs> I felt so at home. But I had this director, I I I remember him, this guy named Tommy Schlami. Of course. Oh, you know. You, you, yeah. Well, because it's snuffy. Yeah. But, you know, he he did he would not have cast me if he had seen Sopranos. He never saw me on Sopranos. Oh. I, I read for him. He, that wasn't an offer. I had to go in an audition for, for the rabbi. I, I went in an audition for the rabbi. I see. But he had never seen. He would not have cast me if he had seen. You me. think? Never. never. Directors have. If he had seen Sopranos, even after the reading, I don't think he would have cast me. Wow. Uh, um, how, how did. I, um, I, I didn't, well, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, it's not. I don't remember that, that well. You know, I wound up a couple, few months ago working with Martin Sheen again on uh, Grace and Frankie. I did a scene there. It was terrible. And yes, I. <laughs> I was terrible. I was no, terrible. you weren't terrible. Oh God, I was. I'm sorry, but it's a pretty odd. It's not a great show. It's not a. Well, I, was, I did it because I want to work with Martin. I want to, and they said, "Come and Betty." I worked with her years ago, uh, Betty Thomas, and mm. uh, and I went. They don't don't pay me. To be and but I, I the thing didn't. I don't know. It was all right. It's just a few months ago. Everybody's fine. They got it on the air. They didn't cut it. So, how how uh, how did everybody loves Raymond happen? You know, my friend Ricky Bird. He's in uh, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he said that's his favorite character of yours. Uh, was you on Everybody Loves Raymond? And Phil's a good friend. How did that happen? I met um, Phil Rosendahl, your friend. Mm-hmm. I remember at the SAG Awards, I was there. Mm-hmm. And he came up to me, he said, well, I really like his stuff on the, you know, Sprouts and more wonderful. He said, do you ever think you should be on a comedy? I said, that's what I always thought I should be. I always thought that's what I'd be. I, really? Com- no, I know, yeah. Early up, I always thought comedy would be my, my strength. Whatever that means. Uh, it is a strength of mine, but not situation comedy. And I said, yeah, I, I would love it. He says, well, there's a role we're thinking of. Said, okay. That's it. I said, this would be great. I just got off the Sopranos. And Raymond, I never watched a child. There's no show. But Raymond was like number one or something, comedy. Of, oh, yeah. So I go from a drama, number one drama, to number one comedy. What could be bad? Nothing it could couldn't be bad. bad. Oh, and, and then they tell me, CBS has never done this in the history of the situation comedy. We're going on location. We're going to Italy. I said, well, sitcom? I'm going to Italy? Yep. 
We went to Italy to shoot. Come on, we're blessed. We're going to sit down with Cheryl and I go to Rome. CBS really did classic stuff in the hotel and everything. It's wonderful. Terrific. Fantastic. Yeah, nice gig. Great gig. And then they, they wanted to keep writing. But it was in the last season. I, it wasn't my stuff. I felt very leaded on the show. Really? Yeah, I didn't feel... I, you know, Peter Boyle's amazing. He's a great actor. And Doris, she had, you know, a handle. Uh, and, and Brad Garrett, uh, he's, we, 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 we message each other like that, Brad Garrett. Sweet. Yeah. But they all had, they had this character. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. Then it didn't work for me. Well, um, it worked for the audience watching you. So, so forget, get over yourself here. Oh, I'm <laughs> Oh, it's all wonderful. It's all good. You still get residual checks. That's a wonderful thing. How much? How much? Uh, Terry wants to know. Um, uh, he said uh, one of he loved your role in Innocent Blood, and he wants to know if you have any stories about making that picture. Yeah, on Rickles. Okay, now did you? I heard you say something about James Con and Don Rickles. Please tell what, what I heard you say. When Jimmy Conn was asked who, who was your prototype for, for playing Sonny Coyong, he said Don Rickles. That's ridiculous. It's, that's There's ridiculous. No I understood it. I, no, Jimmy Conn's may rest in peace. I love Jimmy. I worked twice with Jimmy Conn. Hmm. He did a great thing for me too, Jimmy Conn. <laughs> I have such stories, I, you know, over the years. Jimmy Conn. Oh. Anyway. Uh, wait, wait. What did he do for you? Well, I'm, we're working on a movie, and my uh, Harry and Walter go to New York. Jimmy's the star, and my character named Ben, Dar Diane Keaton says to my character, Ben, you stay here, and we go to New York, and we're going to, you know, it's a, like a, it's a, it's a little romp. It's a, it's a little comedy romp. And then my character's written out of the movie. So they were shooting the movie. I mean, I was having so much fun with Elliot Gould and, 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 and all those people. I was so, so happy. 1974, four or five. And he and uh, um, Diane, uh, I'm off. I'm on camera, and Diane says, "Ben, pack. We gotta go to New York." <laughs> and and she went, and okay, print. And I say to Mark Rydell, and Mark, did you hear what she said? She said, "Tell me to pack. We're going to New York." The line is, "Ben, you stay here. We're gonna." He said, oh, "You're in the movie. We're not writing you out of the movie." Oh, that was a gift to me. That wow. Me. They're like, I said, well, how did this happen? He said, Jimmy Conn. I said, what? He said, Jimmy Conn went to the producer and said, you can't write this guy out of the movie. He's a part of the gang. You can't write you're, you're making me cry. This is such a beautiful story. Because that's the person he was. He was such a mensch. Anyway, real mensch. And, and he knows. I'm like, acting, trying to make a living. He knows. He's writing about a movie. This is four more weeks of movie he wrote me into. Wow. I went up to him and I said, Jimmy, I heard that you, you, what you did for me. He said, listen to me. I didn't do it for you. I did it for me. Wow. Wow. Isn't that, isn't that the sweetest thing in the world to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that the sweetest thing in the world to say? 
Tough guy, right? A tough guy, Sonny Corleone, tough guy, right? A real Not a Jew, no? Yes, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, we so hadn't, we hadn't seen in that movie. And I, I got to remind Elliot of that day. Jack Guilford, great actor, Jack Guilford. We're, we're trying to break into a bank. And when you were raised in New York City, when you were raised in New York City, yeah, the yeah. Bronx. Yeah. The old school buildings, the old windows had window poles. You remember Sure. Oh, sure. Big window poles, and you had to pull down the window. Sure. Old, old. We're trying to break into this bank, and, and Jack Guilford has a line get the window pole. But Jack Guilford was doing this role in a Yiddish Russian accent. So me and Elliot and Jimmy are all lined up. We, it's turn of the century. We're on these funny costumes, you know. We're all lined up. And Jack Gilbert says, get the window pole. <laughs> and I feel, because body stop trembling with laughter. <laughs> I know what he's laughing at. We just get our neighbors and guys we grew up with. Ben, get the window pole. <laughs> nah, I'm Delhi Goob falls apart and we fall apart. So Mark Riddell comes over. He says, wait a second. This is a scene about bringing into a bank. You guys can't do this. You can't do this. Come on, just settle down. All right, we're trying to settle down again. And Jack is still like, get the window pole. <laughs> Jenny can't take it. He can't take it. He can't take it. Because we all grew up in New York City with the big window pole. Get the window pole. They had a break for lunch. I said, okay, that's it. We're break for lunch. Oh my God. That sounds like every relative that I have. Right. Every relative, every, every sound like my brother. Yeah, get them in the pole. <laughs> I love stories like that. I love that. All right. So tell a story from Innocent Blood for, for Terry. Oh, Don Rickles. Don Rickles were uh, in Pittsburgh. And uh, it's about 10 degrees, 20 below zero. It's freezing. Oh my gosh. We're trying to shoot this scene into the little paya. And I'm playing this <clears throat> mob guy. I was so cute in those years. I look at pictures of myself. It's, gee, you are a look, good looking Italian boy. You are. <laughs> <laughs> I look at pictures. It's, gee, you look like <laughs> I look terrible now. Anyway. Uh, but no, no, you look amazing. I know how old you are. You look amazing. It's crazy. I'm 80. No one would ever know. I'm 80. Eight. It's I crazy. I just turned 80. God bless you. Uh, Gesangesint. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. Anyway, I, I, I'm I'm doing a scene. It's freezing out. I'm supposed to be really angry, and I'm going at this guy because he's snitching on the. And they have cops dragging me. And Don Rickles is plays a consigliere of the mafia guys in a Russian hat. You know those Russian hats. <laughs> and he's standing there. I haven't met him yet, but he's just standing there, right? He's in the scene, but he's in the scene. And I'm rushing him. I hear cut and I stop. John Landis is directing the movie, runs over, says, David, what's the matter with you? Why, why'd you stop? I said, I heard cut. He says, I didn't say cut. Don Rickard says, I said cut. <laughs> John says, Don, Don, you can't. I call a cut. I'm the director. <laughs> you don't call a cut. He says, and Don, John says, I knew I would have this with him. I knew this would happen with him. And now I'm looking, I'm saying, oh my God, this is. He says, you see him? And he points at me. He says, he's spitting all over the place. He says, he's a method guy. I know these method guys. That's <laughs> just what he said. He says, he's a method guy. I know these actors, the method, method. He, he's all over, he's spitting. 
I, I didn't know I was spitting. I'm screaming and he's spitting. He says, he spit all over me. <laughs> now, and he said it in Don Rickles, the way Don Rickles would say it. And here's more laughter. Lapalia falls down <laughs> laughing. I fall down in the snow. There was snowbacks. And I start laughing. I fall in the snow. John said, I'm losing control of this. <laughs> He's a method guy. Now, we finally get the scene done. And I go up to him and I said, Mr. Rickles, I'm so excited about you being here. And I'm, I'm a great fan. He says, you know what you're going to do on this movie with me? You're going to sit with me and go over my lines. I said, well, what? He says, you know, you're a method. I know, I know you're an actor. He thought I was an actor because I was doing, he liked what I was doing or something. I don't know. I think he knew my work by the way, by then. He knew I'm me. sure he did. Oh, he did, he did. And he says, you're going to help me in this role. I'm not, I said, I can't help you. You're a wonderful actor. I hung with him. Oh, we went out to dinner. People would treat him like royalty. When we walked into a restaurant, people loved him. And I got, he goes on the Johnny Carson show. Oh, his wife is coming to town. He says, if I do in the hotel, he found out they put me in a suite with three rooms. I don't know why they did that. I had three phones. He finds out. He used to call each phone. <laughs> and it took me a while to fix I would find three phones. And then he finally said to me, who are you to get three phones? You are nobody. I'm Don Rickles. Who are you? He would abuse me. And I would say to him, you're my last chance at meeting Frank Sinatra. He said, you don't have enough money to meet Frank Sinatra. <laughs> he was nuts. He goes on Johnny Carson, Cheryl and I are watching Johnny Carson one night. He says, I just did a movie with this kid, David Problem. He's a good actor, this kid, David Problem. He mispronounces my name. And Johnny Carson says, who? He said, some kid, David Problem. He's a good actor. He doesn't mention the name of the movie. Or, or the wow. Movie. But he plugs me. Wow. I call him the next day to thank him for that. And I had his number. I call him to thank him, Don Rickles. And he goes, you piece of shit. I said, what, what did I do? He said, you take till 11 o'clock. When in your life did you think a star like Don Rickles would go on the Johnny Carson show and mention your name and you take it to, he says, I called earlier, your wife answered the phone. She was so excited it was me. She ran out on the lawn naked. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't stop, Don never could stop. He never, oh God. That's another man in my life. He was. But I lost touch. I didn't. I went to see him in Vegas once, uh, and I went backstage, and he was very sweet. And he said, "What are you doing?" I said, uh, "I'm doing a series." And then he abused me with something, <laughs> something abusive to me. And he says, "He says, is there a part for me on your series?" I said, "Yeah, but you just blew it." <laughs> <laughs> he loved it. I love it. David, so how did you, how did you become? How did coaching, doing workshops, how did that, how did that, how did well, you start? John Boyd, John Boyd, John Boyd, when we were in class together and our teacher left Jack Walsh to go back to New York and we still needed a place to work, he took over and we would moderate and then I would moderate. We would revolve moderation. Then he said to me, you know, David, to make a living, I had my first wife then in those years. I'm married 45 years to Cheryl. I was married 14 years wow. to Harry Cohen of the Bronx. Harry Cohen of the Bronx. And uh, uh, um, my first marriage. So um, I needed to make a living somehow. Always. He said, 
you can do this and charge price. No, I says you can. And he inspired me to be a teacher too. So John has done a lot for me in my life. He inspired me to do it. He says, you, you have that, um, whatever, whatever it was. Whatever. Tony's asking. Uh, Tony's asking if uh, if there's a book in your future, and it sounds like you really should write one, David. I've been asked to write one several times. People have come to me. Yeah. You have great stories. No, 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 no. I have fun stories with great people. Um, I do have enormous amount of stories. I love telling them sometimes. Uh, I, I, so John, how do you know Henry? Jan how did you meet? I did Henry get Jan to meet Frank Sinatra from John. Oh, tell! Oh, I did get to meet Frank. So Cheryl and I are in Palm Springs, and Cheryl is a writer. She's writing somewhere. So she was writing a story on Indian casinos, and we were, she was interviewing an Indian chief, whatever it was. I don't remember. And I see Don Rickles. I said, "Let me." Don Rickles is walking. I run up to him. I said, "You can't lie to me. I know why you're here." <laughs> He said, look, come to the, he writes it down, no cell phones in it, writes it down, come to this restaurant, I'm going to be there with him tonight, I'll introduce you, don't embarrass me, don't embarrass me, I'm going to just say hello, and that's it, and I'll leave, and, and I'm not going to, he's okay, I go to the restaurant, and Cheryl didn't go with me, she wouldn't, didn't want to, and uh, I walk in, Major D comes up to me, knows my name or I didn't say a word. Everything is pretty controlled. Wait a minute. Cheryl knows you're going to meet Frank Sinatra and she doesn't want to go with you? Oh, no, no, no. Wow. Cheryl's maiden name is Macarello. Uh, she's an Italian girl, um, father's Italian. Uh, that's a whole other history about what she feels about. She wrote an article, my wife, for Village, uh, for Village Voice, and, and she was a writer. Uh, about those kind of tough guys. She didn't like being around them. And she has an Italian heritage that doesn't take kindly to I see. a guy like I see. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. That's who she really is. Wow. All right. No, it doesn't take kindly. Her father didn't take kindly to me. He was a great man. I love the father. But anyway, so it, it was something like that. She didn't, doesn't. I got gotcha. you. But me, I am a, <laughs> I'm an Italian boy. You're the Jewish boy. I'm the Jew Italian. I'm the Jew up. <laughs> I'm the Jew up. Are you kidding me? I love it. Are you serious? So I got to go. And I, 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 I'm, he takes me to the back. I walk in, sitting there, sitting there just to, to do with the guys and the whole thing, you know. And I'm nervous. I'm very nervous. I'm very nervous. I go up and he, he looks up and it's the first thing I see the blue eyes is Sinatra. Oh my God. Don says, Frank, this is a kid I was telling you. He called me a kid. I wasn't a kid already. Mm -hmm. The kid I was telling you about is a good actor, this kid. I just did a movie. He's a very good actor. So yeah. He says, yeah, he's looking at me. It's just like, sit down. I said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm just here to say hello. I want to meet you. I'm a big fan. You know, I want to just disappear. Because Don said, don't embarrass me. So I, <laughs> he says, sit down. And the guy sitting there says, get to get a seat, like from true Sinatra style. He says, so yeah, you did a movie with them? What was it movie? And it's Pittsburgh, you just did yeah. He says, tell me about yourself. I said, well, no, I did a movie. 
Martin Scorsese. Oh, good director. What movie? Mean Streets. And he looks at me, he goes, you're the bartender. I said, right, right. He knew my, he says, good. Wow. He knew the movie, but he knew. Wow. The I had a phone conversation with Scorsese recently. I'm very interested in it and what he did with that movie. So now he's talking to me. Don, don't worry, I'm not gonna embarrass you. He knows my work. Don, don, I'm such a schmuck. You're a schmuck kid from Brooklyn. You're a Jewish kid from Brooklyn. You're, you're, you're a hockey puck. Yeah. Yeah, you're a hockey So he says, well, what does he do? I said, well, I did a movie title, Nunzio. I don't... He stops again and goes, wait a second. No, stop. Jennings Lang movie, he said to me. I said, yeah. He said, Jennings sent me that movie. I saw the movie. He sent it to, to he said, Jennings. And we're gonna finish so, with so it was a great conversation we talked to him about film he talked about film that he loved film that he promoted film actors that he loves what do i feel about this guy articulate guy i thought he was a lovely man i mean I, that's all i had with him but he spoke of film in a very respectful way you know very precious Manchurian candidate he told me all about what he's done with film and, uh, um, suddenly, the movie I loved too. I, and I knew his movies, so he loved that. I said, I know his movies. He's seen all the movies. I knew him. I knew his movies and the movies he promoted. So he, he uh, complicated to me. Wow. All right. So I know Cheryl's having a conniption and I don't want to do this, but just, so, okay. So you can see Nunzio on YouTube. It's, it's available yeah, you can see now. It. I found that recently. Okay, so I know you have things in the can. So what what's coming out? What's coming up? What 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 do you want to do next, David? My God, you never you're never going to slow down. No, I, I'm slow down. I did a movie for Latin from Manhattan. I'm a man by the name of Tommy Mignoni, who I love. I, I met him four years ago. I've been struggling with him to get this. Well, he got it out. It's titled Latin from Manhattan. I, I don't know what. He's a Latin from Manhattan. Yeah. I remember that song. Yeah, but it's about it's it's about it's about a uh, porn. It's about the porn business. And oh wow! The first woman of color in porn. It, wow. But whatever. And I'm going back to do a movie very soon with Federico Castelluccio. You know from. The, I do. Brooklyn Bank. I did a movie with him titled Brooklyn Bank. I did that about six years. And the movie got distribution. You know, it's, it's I, uh, the lead, Troy Garrity, Jane Fonda's son, a very good actor. Huh. The lead in the movie, and I've got like second lead or third, whatever you want to do. And uh, I'm going to go back and do a movie. I did a play in New York about seven years ago. I can't do the lead anymore, age-wise in a lot of reasons, but they want me to do the other role. And Which play is that? play called Queen for a Day. I did an uh, off-Broadway about, oh my God, this is seven years already. Wow. And they're going to do a movie. We'll see. We'll see. And you did a film recently with um, with Michael Imperioli, Cabaret Maxine. Yeah. Cabaret Maxine. Well, did that. That's, it's not that recent. It's six mm. But I like that movie a lot. And, and Michael's terrific in it. I like the director a lot. Interesting guy, very interesting guy. But As are you, David. I, I, 
I am, I'm calling Mark as soon as we get off the air to thank him again for this. Uh, what a joy. Uh, I've loved your work forever, but now you're such a, you, you're like, you're we're like, cats. yeah, we're cats. It's, it's wow. fabulous. Thank you so, so much. I've so enjoyed this. This is cute. I did too. And tell Cheryl, I'm sorry for keeping you so <laughs> I know it's dinner time, but I'm going to stay in touch with you. I adore you. You're wonderful. Thank you so much, David. 45 years in marriage. I, I got it wrong. It's my <laughs> fault. It's my fault. It's all my fault. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye, David.